Well, praise the Lord. Aren't you glad you're here? Hey, you don't want to miss next Sunday either. I pray you'll be back. Uh, it's going to be a great time in the Lord uh, next Sunday, Easter Sunday, one service, 1030. It's going to be tremendous. I hope you'll be here. You know, these things oh, never work like they're supposed to. We'll do this. <laughs> Oh, I'm just so thrilled to be here. Man, praise the Lord. I, uh, mm, Mark chapter 11. We get ready for Palm Sunday, the countdown to Calvary. Mark chapter 11. Beginning in verse 7. If you would stand please in honor of God's holy, inspired, inerrant word. The Bible says, and they brought the colt to Jesus, cast their garments on him, and he sat upon him. And many spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches off the trees and strawed them in the way. And they that went before and they that followed cried, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we come this morning. The words of that song are so true to us today. You're still calling. I pray our prayer would be and our reply would be, here am I. I ask you to bless this service. Thank you for the music. How it's already blessed us. Continue to let your spirit fall fresh. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> you ever get to where you, <clears throat> your voice just goes? <clears throat> there was a cowboy hearing a minister read this scripture. <clears throat> he was probably like a lot of us, learned to whisper in a sawmill. But he whispered out that morning what wonderful hands he must have had. After the service, the pastor asked him, he said, why, why did you say that? <clears throat> Thank you. <clears throat> Acetophetamine or anything like that. I'm taking up medicine. <laughs> he said, why would, why would you say that? And the cowboy replied back, to ride an unbroken, unsaddled colt through these narrow, crowded streets, palm leaves waving and people shoving and shouting. He must have had wonderful control of his hands. Folks, the bottom line was the master is in control. And he's still in control today. And uh, he was entering the holy city, Jerusalem, amid the acclamation of the crowds. And we call it the triumphant entry into Jerusalem. It's known today as Palm Sunday. It's been said that that triumph in that moment was, was the struggle is won and the battle is over. The Lord had already conquered temptation and sin and Satan and triumph was in his heart. You see, the victory didn't come on the cross. The victory didn't even come at the resurrection. The victory came in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
It had already been said and done. And I want to tell you this morning, your victories are not going to come out there on the battlefields. They're going to have to be won before you ever get on the battlefield. They're going to have to be won in the prayer closet. And that's exactly what is done here. The crowd is noisy and they're jubilant. And on the, on the outskirts of it, you would think, man, this is his finest hour. This is tremendous. The disciples were pleased. I don't know, perhaps Judas was probably thinking, hey, I'm fixing to become secretary of the treasury. The whole kingdom's going to be ours and things are going to be wonderful. For the first time, Jesus accepted the accolades and the acclaim and, and uh, it was no backdoor affair. He rode into Jerusalem right down full view of his declared enemies and the shouting crowd and those who hated him were taken by surprise. They had no intention to arrest him there on sight. They didn't dare touch him because they knew the crowd would, would just literally tackle him and, and it would be the end of the crowd. According to Josephus, there were about 3 million pilgrim Jews in Jerusalem at that time. I'd hate to be in Jerusalem today with 3 million like that, but there are 3 million crowded in those streets. And uh, the authorities that lastly did not want to anger those pilgrimage Jews. And because of the popularity, all they could do was wait. But you see, popularity is only a temporary thing. At its very best, it's only temporary. Uh, Hosanna means save us. Because they had seen what Jesus had done. They'd seen him heal the sick and they'd seen him raise up the lame. And, and, and they really had in their mind, he's going to come and, and we're going to take over Rome and we're going to establish a kingdom. Hosanna, save us. But Jesus had a different salvation in mind than what they had in mind. Five days later, perhaps some of the same people who were in the mob crying out Hosanna were in the mob saying crucify him. On Sunday, they cried to him. On Monday, they were caustic to him. On Tuesday, they complained to him. On Wednesday, they challenged him. On Thursday, they criticized him. And on Friday, they crucified him. I'll never forget one of my oldest pastors that I ever came in contact with, a great man of God, used to tell me, you think people love you, always get you a glass of water. Put your finger down in that water, take it out, and however long that water stays separated, that's how long they'll remember you when you're gone. Brother, I've never forgot that. I, I'm not here for you to remember me. I, I'm here for you to remember Jesus. I was reading uh, uh, Leonardo da Vinci uh, was given the task of painting that Last Supper and took years to do it. And every detail, even on the disciples' face, everything. After years, he showed it to a confidant. And the confidant said, what a beautiful chalice that Jesus is holding in his hand. Da Vinci immediately took the picture and painted out the chalice. Because he said, the only thing I want you to see in that picture is Jesus. And folks, that's what we need to see this morning as we're coming into resurrection. Men's praise is temporary. They misunderstood the nature of his coming. So let's just look at this briefly. First of all, there's a, there's a program. God's got a plan. God always has a plan. And there's a plan of preparation. 
Earlier on in Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 4, he said, He sendeth forth two of his disciples, and he said unto them, Go your way into the village over against you, and as soon as ye be entered into it, you shall find a colt tied, whereon no man sat. Loose him and bring him. And if any man say unto you, Why do you this? You say that the Lord hath need of him, and straightway he'll send him here. Now, the owner of the colt did recognize somebody fixing to take my colt, and they, he said, what, what, what's happening? And he said, the Lord has need of him, and he let him go. Could I tell you this morning that still the Lord hath need of people today? He's still saying that same thing today. The Lord hath need of you to visit. The Lord hath need of you to be in hospitals. The Lord hath need of you to be in ministries and youth and children. The Lord hath need for missionaries today. Maybe God's laying on somebody's heart a desire to go to Haiti or to go to Africa or to go somewhere today. Listen, God still needs folks to do that, to share the gospel. God needs folks to share the gospel right here in East Texas. God needs folks to be pastors and teachers and staff members. The Lord hath need of thee. What are you going to say? The disciples had been dreaming their own greatness in this. They were preoccupied with themselves. So he was telling them all along, my death is coming, my death is coming. I don't know who it was. Was it the two that maybe clambered over the left seat and the right seat? But somebody... Jesus sends on a little menial task. Don't you hate it when you think you're really important and somebody asks you to do a little menial task? And yet that's exactly what they did. Uh, to go get this donkey. And uh, Brother Herman, if you, I think it's on his website. Uh, I'm not positive. But he preaches a sermon from the perspective of the donkey. Uh, on, 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 uh, on the triumphal entry. I mean, can you imagine that somebody goes and, and, the, and the donkey hears the master say, hey, you're going to carry Jesus into Jerusalem. Don't you know that as that donkey, they were carrying him back, don't you know that donkey was strutting like he had never strutted before, man? He's fixing to carry the king of kings in the triumphal entry. I mean, things are going to be wonderful. He is geared up and he's ready. And then when he gets back, the Bible says they begin to take their coats off and, and cover the donkey up and the palm, all of that covered. And the donkey's hollering, wait a minute, nobody's going to be able to tell who I am if y'all keep covering me up. And that's what it's all about, folks. Getting us out of the way and pointing people to Jesus. It doesn't matter who we are. It's not important who we are. Every hour that our Lord had lived, everything he had done pointed to the day that he would go to Jerusalem and fulfill the plan of God. It's just like this worship service. Everything we do in this worship service from the very beginning, the children up here, what a blessing, the special music, the choir, the offering, the scriptures, the prayers, everything, the message, it all points toward what we call the invitation. And I encourage you again this week and next week, especially with so many folk who will be here next week, don't treat the invitation like it's time to get ready to go home. If you've been saved by the blood of Jesus, you ought to be praying like you've never prayed before for people in this invitation time. Amen. He accepts the acclamation here. He said, for this cause in John 12, 27, I came unto this hour. He can't come to save, but those had determined to put him to death. 
So God's got a plan. And then you see the Prince of Peace. The Jerusalem means city of peace. And the Prince of Peace was coming to his own people. And he wrote a cult, a symbol of humility and peace. Now there's going to come a time when uh, he's not going to ride a colt. There's going to come a time when he's going to come in on a white horse. And it's going to be a whole different ball game than what we've ever experienced before. But now he's riding a colt. And the people of Jerusalem had made a red carpet out of the palm leaves for Jesus. And they saddled out of their coats. And he's proclaimed as the conqueror, the king. Many have been kings, but Jesus is the king of kings. I mean, you, the calendar was divided because of him. The, the time is kept by him. All eternity is controlled by him. There's none other like Jesus. One day they treated him as king, and a few later, days later they crowned him with a crown of thorns. I tell you, when Jesus is compared to other kings... There seems to be a big lacking in countless ways. Historians have compared Jesus to Alexander the Great. And a guy by the name of Charles Weave wrote this about Jesus and Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great was the son of a king born in a palace. Jesus was a son of God, but he was born in a manger. Jesus and Alexander the Great both died at the age of 33 years old. One lived and died for himself, one died for you and me. The Greek died on a throne, the Jew died on a cross. One's life as a triumph seemed, the other but a loss. One led vast armies forth, the other walked alone. One shed a whole world's blood, the other gave his own blood. One, world, one won the world in life and lost it all in death. The other lost his life to win the whole world's faith. Jesus and Alexander died at 33. One died in Babylon and one on Calvary. One gained all for self and one himself he gave. One conquered every throne, the other every grave. The one made himself God, the God made himself less. The one lived but to blast, the other but to bless. When died the Greek, forever fell his throne of swords. But Jesus died to live forever, Lord of lords. The Greek made all men slaves. The Jew made all men free. One built the throne of blood. The other built on love. One was born on earth. The other from above. One won all this earth to lose all earth and heaven. The other gave up all that all to him be given. The Greek died forever. The Jew forever lives. He loses all who gets. He wins all things who gives. Charles Ross Reed wrote that. You see, Alexander conquered every throne, but Jesus conquered every grave. Maybe you need to let that soak in just a little bit this morning of what Jesus has done for you. Maybe you just, <laughs> huh, we had the Lord's Supper out at, at Mason Creek and I was reminded again, maybe we just need to stop and just evaluate and examine what Christ has done for us. When he says examine yourselves, that literally means put yourself on trial. What has the Lord done for you? When you were on your road to destruction and there was no other way out, and yet the Lord reached down and touched you and picked you up, drawn by the Holy Spirit of God, and you surrendered your life to him. He's conquered and will conquer. Because I want to tell you guys, here's the deal. 
Only the Son of God can satisfy our needs. No one else can. Man, people are grasping and they're clawing, just trying to get where they can be happy and where they can be satisfied. There's no happiness, no joy, no fulfillment outside of Jesus Christ. And then there's a prophetic purpose here. As Christ rode into Jerusalem, the prophecy of Zechariah 9.9, it was being fulfilled. O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly, riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. There's another prophecy to be fulfilled found in Revelation 19. I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. You see, folk, Jesus is going to come again for his bride. You say, who's his bride? Those who've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. If you're here this morning and you've been saved by the blood of the Lamb, you're the bride of Christ. If you're here this morning, you've not been saved by the blood of the Lamb. You need to be saved by the blood of the Lamb because you need to be in the bride of Christ. Even under the burden of the cross, Jesus looked at him and said, Daughters, don't weep for me. Weep for yourselves. Weep for your children. When Jesus spoke, the speech of a king was revealed. Even the the, the, the rulers and the synagogue and the Pharisees said, Listen, never a man spake like this. He was kingly in all realms. Never a man prayed as Jesus prayed. Never a man suffered as Jesus suffered. Never a man died as Jesus died. In Isaiah 62, 11, the scripture says, Say ye to the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy salvation cometh. And yet Jerusalem did not accept that salvation. When, when, when they were asked, What am I going to do with Jesus? They said, let his blood be upon us and our children. What are you going to do with Jesus? He stands before you this morning seeking admission. The Prince of Peace has come to you. What are you going to do with Jesus? Has he conquered your life? Or do you with Thomas acknowledge him as my Lord and my God? See, folks, the the real truth is, it doesn't matter how much you say you love Jesus. It doesn't really matter how much we praise and lift our hands and clap and shout and all of that. What really matters is what you've done with Jesus. I just wrote down five things here that I think the Lord wants us to have and, and we're through. I think the Lord wants us to know his will. I believe he wants us to. The Bible says in Acts 22, 14, the God of our fathers has chosen thee that thou shouldest know his will. Don't, don't, don't run around here and act like, I can't find the will of God. I can't find the will of God. Just do what you already know to do. You don't need some bracelet that says, what would Jesus do? You already know what he'd do. You've got the word of God inspired and errant to tell you what he did. I believe he wants you to know his will. If you're willing to obey it, he'll reveal it. Now listen to me. If you don't, don't care about it, if you're careless, if you're not curious about it, he's not going to reveal it to you. But if you seek him with all of your heart, you'll find him. You'll know the will of God. Secondly, I think he wants you to understand his will. Not just know his will, but understand his will. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is, Ephesians 5, 17. 
Here's where wisdom comes in. A child can know the will of his father, but he may not understand his will. God wants you to have both. Both. And then thirdly, I think he wants you to prove his will. Romans 12, 2 says that we're not to be conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And that Greek means to prove by experience. You see, we learn to determine the will of God by working at it, by doing it. The more we obey, the easier it is to know what God wants us to do. And then fourthly, he wants you to do his will from the heart. Not with eye service as men pleasers. Ephesians 6, 6 says, but the servants of Christ. Doing the will of God from the heart. I, I better not use that illustration. I'm going to get in trouble. Let me use another one. There was a time <laughs> uh, that I was supervisor over people. And I love this, you know, uh, people would be sitting there just kind of talking back and forth. You use this on any job you want to. But when the supervisor comes in, whew, they all sit up, they all go to work. That's exactly what he's talking about here. Quit being men pleasers. Quit trying to please men when they're looking at you. Because God already knows your heart. We ought to be serving the Lord from the heart. Not because it ought to be the thing to do. It's because our heart longs to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it ought to be. The, the whole secret of a happy life is to have delight in duty. Man, you may serve the Lord grudgingly or out of obligation, but when you do that, you end up missing the blessing that God has for you. He wants you to love to serve the Lord. You say, preacher, you're just using that because you're trying to get people to work here. I sure am. I sure am. But I want to tell you, based on it, I'm telling you, there's nights when you may go to bed and you can't even raise your arm. You're so dog tired. But there's a peace that passeth all understanding. And the Lord's there. The fifth thing, and let me close, he wants you to have eternal life. The Bible says in 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord's not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Jesus died that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You say, preacher, I've got too many things. I need to, I need to clean up some things. That's not the way it works. You don't clean the fish before they get in the boat. You get them in the boat, and then, then you worry about cleaning them. Listen, you don't have the strength, the power, the authority, or anything else to straighten your life out. What you need to do is come just like you are. And our Lord will take care of the cleaning. He'll take care of the discipleship. He'll take care of all of those. If there's one verse, thank the Lord that's in the Word of God. For us as Christians, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Master, thou callest, and this I reply, <laughs> ready and willing, Lord, 
here am I. Can you say that this morning? Would you say that if you need Jesus? Lord, I know you're calling. The Holy Spirit is, is, is inviting you and drawing you. And you say, I'm not sure what's happening to me. I promise you the devil does not want you to be saved. It is not Satan that's trying to get your attention this morning. It's the Holy Spirit of God. Would you say, here am I? I'm ready to do whatever you want me to do. Maybe this morning you need a church home. And you'd say, Lord, here am I. Now, don't come if you're not planning on rolling up your sleeves and going to work. We like to work around here. We got enough people on. Well, anyway, you, you come. <laughs> Maybe this morning you just need to come and kneel at this altar and say, Lord, boy, there's some things I need to get my heart right with you on. And the preacher can't do it. The church can't do it. My parents can't do it. The only one who can do it is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what these altars are here for. Guys, let me tell you something. The older you get, the more you realize all this fluff we go through. Man, folk ought to be at these altars with tears. Brother Aaron mentioned it, that God bottles up the tears. I mean, our, our lives ought to be full of tears, especially because we've all got a one plus one plus one we've been praying for. Is God speaking to you? Are you ready to say, here am I? I'll do whatever you want me to do. Father, thank you this morning for the joy to come into this place. Thank you for the spirit that is so prevalent and real in this place today. Lord, would you have your way in every life that's in this congregation. God, those that need to be saved, may this be the day of their salvation. Lord, those that need to come and, and just kneel at this altar. Maybe there's somebody here that needs to go to somebody else here and say, look, let's get this over with. Let's, let's move on with the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's make this the best resurrection season we've ever had for the glory of God. Lord Jesus, please have your way in every life in this place today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me as Brother Aaron leads us? You come right now. Christians, lead the way.